Welcome to Revive Families Connecting Hearts with researcher, author, speaker, and coach Jeff Schott. Jeff is devoted to keeping the hearts of parents and kids connected. He developed Influential Parenting, a comprehensive program designed to help parents target the root of behavior issues rather than whacking away at the surface. Jeff also wrote the book Going, Going, Gone, which helps parents understand the reasons kids depart the faith. It gives parents the information they need to open conversations with their kids to prevent this outcome. Learn more about Revive Family, its resources and coaching for families at revivefamily.com. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Jeff Schott, the founder of Revive Family, and I hope you had a truly blessed, peaceful, meaningful Christmas. That's what we've been talking about over the last three weeks, is how do we have a truly meaningful Christmas with our families? And now we're going to transition into 2020. Many of us set New Year's resolutions, but what can we do as families to really improve the culture of our families? With New Year's just a few days away, I'd like to suggest that we adopt the goal of being compassionate families in 2020. Let's call it Compassion 2020. I believe compassion would be a great New Year's resolution for us individually as parents that will rub off and dramatically impact our kids and how they respond to us. While compassion may not be something we talk about a ton in parenting, I believe it's absolutely essential to having the types of kids that we all desire to have. Of course, all of this relates to and interrelates with the relationships we have in our family. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to A Meaningful Christmas, the last two segments of that series deals with relationships and what makes up a healthy relationship. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, I'd highly recommend you go to our site, revivefamily.com forward slash podcast, and listen to A Meaningful Christmas. It will really help set you up to build that compassionate environment within our homes. And you may be thinking in the back of your head, why is compassion so important? And what will it change in our homes? One thing is clear from the research is that compassion is on the decline, especially amongst young people, college students in our country. And I think if we're honest and we really look at it, what we'll see is that compassion is on the decline throughout our entire society. The ability to relate to, understand, and care about one another's perspectives and feelings seems to be on the decrease. The divisions in our country politically, socially, and even spiritually seem to scream that we're losing compassion in our culture. More concerning to me is the lack of compassion I'm seeing within homes between husbands and wives and especially between parents and kids. But before we go any further, we really should look at the definition of compassion. As I looked at the different definitions of compassion out there, it became really apparent that how we see and understand compassion is vital. Some of the definitions indicated it was simply just a feeling that one extends for someone who's struggling or suffering. And other definitions took it a step further. The Webster's definition put it this way, Compassion is a sympathetic awareness of others' distress with a desire to alleviate it. Yet even in this definition, both elements are basically a feeling, the second one, a desire to alleviate it. 
The best definition I found for compassion was found in the article The Compassionate Mind put out by the Association for Psychological Science that defined compassion as an emotional response when perceiving suffering that involves an authentic desire to help. Then I would have to ask, though, if we don't act on that desire to help, is it truly compassion or not? And I think Matthew 5 confirms this when Jesus is talking about having compassion upon the crowds, upon the people that were struggling, hurting, and making all sorts of mistakes. He said, I have compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And did Jesus just leave it at that observation that he had compassion on them, or did he actually go out and act on that compassion, feeding the 5,000, healing the leper, protecting the adulterous woman? Go down the line, and we see over and over again that Jesus acted on his feelings of compassion, which to me is genuine compassion. And so if you were to stop and reflect upon your family, upon the interactions between family members, do you see, do you sense, do you feel a lot of compassion in action between family members? And one of the reasons I believe we should make Compassion 2020, one of our New Year's resolutions, is that compassion leads to closer relationships. It draws people together. It helps them feel cared for and understood, something that I see breaking down in marriages and in families all over the place. So if you don't see that compassion taking place in your home, does that mean you're just not compassionate people? I think that would be a faulty conclusion given all the research that exists on compassion today. In fact, the research indicates that compassion is basically hardwired into every individual. Dr. Rand at Harvard University found that adults and children's first impulse is to help others. Another author on compassion said this, it's not surprising that compassion is a natural tendency since it's essential for human survival. Of course, if you're a parent of kids who are age 9, 10, 11, 11, 12, or an adolescent might be thinking to yourself, well, what happened to the compassion in my kids? Because man, I'm not seeing much, if any of it. And this is why I want to encourage you to adopt a resolution of developing compassion in your family for 2020. Because when I look back at myself and my early days of parenting, I will tell you one thing for certain. It was not characterized by compassion. And the outcome in our first child's life was not positive. Due to my lack of compassion, she became really hard, really challenging, and really uncompassionate herself. But the great news is that the compassion is in there. We just need to unearth it. We just need to encourage it. We may need to exercise it or train it a bit. And I think another article I found called The Three Insights from the Cutting Edge of Compassion Research explains what happened with our daughter and why her compassion blinked out, given that my compassion was basically non-existent. So if you're not seeing compassion working in your family and you're not seeing compassion at work in your kids' lives, this is probably the reason. The article states this, it turns out that feeling safe is a precondition to activating the biological systems that promote compassion. In the face of another person's struggles or suffering, the biological mechanisms that drive our nurturing and caregiving can only come online if our more habitual self-preservation and vigilance to threat systems are not monopolizing the spotlight. What does this mean? If we're constantly on guard in our homes, fearful 
of reactions, hurtful words, or not being listened to and heard, be in self-protective mode. And in self-protective mode, that trumps the inherent compassionate nature within us. It can be really challenging for some of us as parents because we grew up in environments that were so hurtful, so damaging, that we've learned to put up a protective wall that has never come down. Given this, we may have felt bad about ourselves or come to the conclusion that we're just not compassionate people, but that's not what the research is showing. So if we're not seeing compassion in our homes, it's likely because there's a breakdown in communication, there's a breakdown in safety, there's a breakdown in trusting each other, and so we're protecting ourselves, and thus the compassionate culture that can exist, should exist, and is so amazing within a family is prevented from emerging. And why is this such a big deal? It's a big deal on many fronts. Without compassion, relationships erode. Without compassion, the sense of emotional connection fades away. And our kids stop feeling close to us, and we stop feeling truly close to them. And beyond even this, what we find in the research is that a compassionate lifestyle leads to greater psychological well-being. And in fact, that compassion actually plays a fairly significant role in beating both depression and anxiety. This is why compassion is so important today, because both depression and anxiety are on the increase amongst children and adolescents. In fact, in many ways, compassion can actually serve like an immunization against depression and anxiety in our kids. Why is this the case? In the article entitled The Three Findings from Cutting Edge Compassion Research, it says this, extending compassion toward others biases the brain to glean more positive information from the world, something called the carryover effect. Brain imaging data actually shows that being kind to others registers in the brain as more like eating chocolate than like fulfilling an obligation to do what's right. Echoes what I tell parents in coaching all the time. Stop focusing on the right and wrong and start focusing on the emotions that are leading to those crazy decisions, which of course requires compassion, looking at and understanding the other person's feelings and struggles with an earnest desire to come alongside and help them with it, which is what influential parenting is all about and why you may want to make part of your New Year's resolution to take our online influential parenting program, which is short 7 to 14 minute sessions that you can watch or you can download the whole audio file and listen to it as you're driving or working out. And right now I'm actually coaching a teenager who's actually really struggling in this area. I've found that this often stems both in adults and in kids that I'm working with from the fact that they have very little compassion for themselves. In fact, research into self-compassion is relatively recent and really profound. What I've seen is that if we have very little compassion for ourselves, we tend to be pretty hard on everyone around us, which of course breaks down the compassionate culture in our homes because no one then is feeling understood. No one then is feeling safe. And it kicks in that protective instinct we talked about earlier. So we're going to unpack this whole thought process of self-compassion and is it selfishness or is it narcissism when we come back after the break in just a few minutes. Thanks for joining me, Jeff Schott for Revive Families Connecting Hearts. We'll be back in just a moment. 
Hey, Jeff Schott here, just taking a moment to let you know that if you find our radio program and or podcast helpful, we'd really appreciate it if you would pay it forwards, that we can continue to help more families with our radio program, podcasts, and coaching that is leading to what the parents call miraculous changes in their kids, in their family culture, and in their kids' desire to walk with the Lord. So if you're finding our resources helpful, please go to revivefamily.com forward slash donation and make a donation today. You will be helping kids and families go in the direction they desire as opposed to being swept away by the crazy youth culture today. Thank you. Welcome back to Revive Families Connecting Hearts. I'm Jeff Schott, and we're talking about Compassion 2020. I'm encouraging you to make a New Year's resolution related to compassion for yourself and for your family and especially your kids in 2020. And when we stepped away for the break, we were talking about how I've seen that many parents and many kids have a really hard time having a compassionate view or attitude towards themselves. And that oftentimes when they don't have this compassion, they tend to be really hard and or have really high expectations of themselves, which often leaves them disappointed with themselves and focusing on the negative around them, which of course dramatically impacts our family culture. And when we begin to latch on to the negative, we're going to have a hard time having compassion for those around us because we're going to be looking at the negatives rather than the character, rather than the potential, rather than the positive. Thankfully, there's been some research recently into this whole concept of self-compassion. If you want to look into it yourself, read the article, The 15 Most Interesting Self-Compassion Research Findings. In research done by Kristen Neff, three essential elements of self-compassion were identified, and these included self-kindness or having the ability to refrain from harsh criticism of oneself, the ability to recognize your own humanity, or the fact that each of us is imperfect and each of us experiences pain, and third, the ability to maintain a sense of mindfulness or non-biased awareness of experiences, even if they're painful. While these are all important, the last one is absolutely essential. This is where I'm seeing parents really struggle and where I have to help them turn and face the painful things from their past that are often causing them to react and or respond in ways that aren't compassionate and come across as harsh and damaging or hurtful to their kids. In essence, we need to be able to self-reflect. And what the research is showing is if we can't be compassionate with ourselves, we lose the ability to self-reflect because we're so hard on ourselves that we just won't go there because it adds to that pain pool that we haven't dealt with from our past. And while self-compassion is often intertwined with self-esteem, research is indicating that there are two distinct concepts where self-compassion is more about self-acceptance and self-esteem focuses on favorable self-evaluation. According to the research, self-compassion involves directing the same type of kindness, care, and compassion toward yourself that you would convey toward a loved one who was suffering. In fact, those that score high in self-compassion treat themselves with kindness and concern when experiencing negative events. 
they don't get down on themselves, which allows them to self-reflect and learn from the experience, and they get on a positive learning cycle, where I've found in my coaching, when people are really hard on themselves, when they don't have compassion towards themselves, they have a hard time self-reflecting, and they're often not learning at all, and they feel stuck. They feel hopeless. They feel like there's something wrong with them because they're not able to make any changes, and often it's because of how they're viewing themselves and how they have no compassion, and they're very harsh on themselves when they come up short. And the research suggests this, that when we encounter a failure or even a major setback, that treating yourself kindly might involve things like this, taking time off to give yourself an emotional break, engaging in mental acts of kindness such as positive self-talk, looking at the successes you've had in the past might be an example, giving yourself an encouraging word. Not letting the negative thoughts replay and replay, but camping out on some of the things that you know are positive about yourself and practicing forgiveness with yourself. People that possess self-compassion are less likely to be critical with themselves and less likely to be anxious or depressed, which in turn leads to greater life satisfaction. It also is proven to decrease stress, improve health, and in fact, practicing compassion actually shows changes in the physical brain under MRI scans. Unfortunately, according to Kristen Neff, there's a societal misconception when it comes to self-kindness or self-compassion. It's often viewed as self-indulgent or narcissistic by the individual who's encountered a setback. Self-compassion or self-kindness is not being selfish. It is actually mentally healthy. Self-compassion actually promotes self-awareness and learning something that narcissism prevents. In fact, the research shows that those that are high in self-compassion actually have a higher motivation to make amends and a desire not to repeat their transgressions. It also shows that they have a greater desire to spend more time studying after an initial failure so they'll learn from their mistakes. In fact, additional research also indicates that People that have self-compassion have a greater preference for upward social comparison after thinking about a personal weakness rather than associating themselves with more negative people to feel better. Finally, the research shows that they have a greater sense of motivation to change their weaknesses, which is why I'm such a huge proponent of changing the fundamental approach we take to parenting. So much of the approach that we take focuses on right and wrong and focuses on negative consequences when bad behavior comes. I've found rubs off on the kids and they become negative about themselves, which then short circuits their ability to have compassion, not just for others, but for themselves, which in turn shuts down their ability to self-reflect and to learn from their mistakes, which is why the influential parenting stuff that we've developed over years of research and interaction with kids and parents and then experimenting with our own family, we've seen such a huge change in our family culture and such a huge change in our kids. Kids are actually truly compassionate and caring about the people around them. Just the other day, my son came home and said, man, I have a lot of homework to do tonight because I was going around the class helping other kids with their projects because they were struggling. He was having compassion on them, and it got in the way of his own work, but he didn't come home negative or unhappy. He came home feeling better about himself and motivated to do his homework. 
Another researcher, Dr. Gilbert, believes that compassion is one of the most important declarations of strength and courage known to humanity. Compassion is difficult and powerful while also being infectious and influential, and it is universally recognized with its ability to motivate and change the world. All you have to do is look at people like Mother Teresa. Having compassion on our kids doesn't mean we're raising weak kids. In fact, what it means is that we're raising emotionally strong kids who can dig into their sources of pain, who can self-reflect, and who can learn from it and become better people because of it. It builds strength. It's not weakness. It's really important to note that self-compassion is not about self-judgment. It's about developing a sense of warmth and compassion in everything we do. When you're self-compassionate, you recognize your own failures and shortcomings as something that's inevitable and something you can accept with love and kindness. Basically, this is that unmerited favor, grace that God gives us that he wants us to give to others and especially our family members and our kids. But that requires that we're able to give grace to ourselves. So if you find yourself struggling to have self-compassion for yourself, if you're hard on yourself, if you're critical, if you're harsh with yourself, it's going to get in your way and adversely affect your own learning and especially adversely affect your family. The good news is that the research is showing that you can brush the dust off that compassion bone that's deep within you. Some of us, that may require getting some outside help and turning and facing some of the painful areas in our lives so we're not always in that self-protective mode. For others, it's even simpler than that. It's simply taking on a practice of being mindful about compassion. Sadly, for many of us in the faith-based community, what I see in the research around compassion is that they've grabbed the care and self-reflection practices of Buddhism in terms of meditation and put it to use in this area of compassion, and they've found significant results where people begin to meditate upon compassion in several different areas, and it actually does change and bring back their compassionate nature. Why this is so heartbreaking for me is that Christianity is not viewed as compassionate today, and yet Jesus had compassion upon the crowds in Matthew and went around practicing compassion, helping people, sacrificing and laying down his life for people, and it's something somehow we've lost. Come so focused on the right and wrong and having high expectations of ourselves that we've inherently lost our compassion and the world sees it. But the research does show that there are seven practices we can take to increase our compassion. And where they're talking about meditation, I'm going to talk about prayer because there really is so many similarities between them. Except the source that we're praying to. And that source is God that says in Romans 5, 5, he'll pour love into our hearts. The Spirit will pour love into our hearts. But we've got to seek that out. And we need to seek that out in praying for ourselves, in, in praying for others, and in caring for and acting upon that care for others 
to have true compassion like Jesus did. What the research shows is that we need to have a morning ritual. They're suggesting that we have a morning meditation on compassion for ourselves and compassion for others that we know are struggling. I'm going to suggest that we have a prayer time where we pray about compassion, God's compassion for us, our compassion for ourselves, and where we're recognizing the struggles and praying for those who are struggling around us. If meditation can increase our compassion, I would argue that praying to God, who's the author and perfecter of life, will have even a more profound effect upon our compassion. Church also found that we need to practice empathy, and it suggests that we imagine that a loved one is suffering, something terrible has happened to him or her, and now we try to imagine the pain they're going through. I would say that we need to do this as parents. And we need to see our kids' struggles as valid. Yes, their struggles aren't as significant as ours because ours may deal with our marriage or may deal with our ability to provide for our family and pay for our mortgage. But their struggles with bullies, their struggles with relationships or breakups, their struggles with stress, anxiety, or depression is something that we need to develop empathy for. And putting ourselves back in our shoes in high school, in middle school, and feeling the feelings we had back then, and then realizing our kids are going through those same things, can really help us increase our empathy, which will increase our compassion for our kids. Another thing the research suggests is practicing acts of kindness as a way to develop compassion. This is something we should just be doing naturally as believers, but it's something we can definitely put in place within our families and help our kids focus on doing with others. The good news is that it's not very hard to reawaken that compassionate nature that we all have. And that's why I'm recommending we make the New Year's resolution as parents for our families to become more compassionate in 2020. It will help our kids draw closer to us and help them learn and grow from their mistakes, and it will help us be more positive about ourselves. Thank you for joining us for Revive Families Connecting Hearts. Have a great New Year's and join me in making 2020 the year of compassion. That's it for this edition of Revive Family Parenting in the 21st Century with Jeff Schott. We'll return soon with another program designed to help you become a wiser, more effective, more influential parent. Jeff's website is revivefamily.com. Parenting in the 21st Century is produced in association with Faith Radio. Jeff Schott is a pastoral counselor and coach. He is not a licensed healthcare professional. What you've heard is not a substitute for seeking professional medical or psychological support.